0: Can you hear me? Everybody hear me in the back? Okay. Today, I'm Greg DeValley, by the way, for those of you who don't know me. I uh, teach law school. And today I have the opportunity and privilege to introduce someone who personifies me person person about whom Theodore Roosevelt was thinking. And he said it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out where the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done better. Credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who knows to great enthusiasm, great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows the end in the end of the triumph of high achievement. And who, at the worst, he fails the least, He fails while married greatly. that the space shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor John Altenberg spent his lifetime in the arena, in the time of the enlisted soldier in Vietnam through his rise through the ranks to become a two-star general. Till he left his position as the appointing authority for military commissions in 2006, he exemplified to me the ideals of duty, courage, and public service. General over 28 years as an Army warrior. He served as a senior advisor to commanders in Iraq, in Iraq, in Operation Desert Storm, in Somalia, in Operation Restore Hope, and in Operation Uphold Democracy in Haiti. Ultimately, he became, as I said, a Major General, the Assistant Judge Advocate General of the Army. And retired in 2001 at high position. And he became of counsel with the law firm of Greenberg Fire in Washington, DC. This, and I know John well, this was finally the chance to have some geographic stability after 28 years in the service. Time to work somewhat regular hours. Time to catch up a little bit with those of his classmates who had financially Got into private practice and done well, and perhaps a chance, arrested from the arena for a while. Then 9 11 happened. And a year and a half later, John, at the request of his country, was back in the arena again. He was asked by the president to be the appointing authority for military commissions, which at the time was in disarray and subject to significant criticism. Instead of saying, Look, I've done my time, it's somebody else's turn. He left the law firm and returned to public service, telling me at the time that he expected to spend no more than 18 months in the position to stayed for three years. His goal throughout that time was to work to create a process that the nation could not only live with, but could be proud of. He worked tirelessly, sometimes in the face of criticism and opposition, to do so. No one doubts that the military commission process today bears only slight resemblance to the process hastily put in place in November 2001. John Holmberg, to me, over the almost 20 years that it known, has been a superior officer, a mentor, a colleague, a co-author, and a friend. In each and every one of these capacities, he's talked to something. It's my great privilege and honor to introduce my dear friend, John.
1: They killed. <laughs> <laughs> this will not be a long speech. Uh, I, uh, Craig got me going in so many different directions. I, I knew I was supposed to talk for he said just ten minutes in one place and twenty minutes in another place. Comes into the room here after doing a uh, an interview for hours going WISU,
0: George P.S. Also, and uh, I thought this was a ten minutes. On the way over, he said going to talk for twenty minutes. Afternoon
1: with China. What I'd like to do is, uh, I have some things that I want to talk about with regard to commissions and and some things that happen there that I think will lend themselves to a discussion at the table based on what I've been told about how this function,
0: how this event functions.
1: But I'd like to preface those remarks about the specific aspects of the commissions uh, by talking directly to the law students about some things with regard to uh, career development and uh, and mentoring that, that I think. I was a third-year law student at the University of Cincinnati who, uh, university, uh, in
0: the um, I was pretty well satisfied that I wanted to uh, become a trial attorney, uh,
1: and so I thought the best way to become a trial attorney, which is a traditional wisdom, and I think still true, is to make the mistakes on behalf of the government. to my cases uh, represent the government, and not individual clients or corporations. And so I was pursuing. Uh, that of course of action with a Democratic City solicitor and Republican the prosecutor in Cincinnati and was down the road in the interview process to where it looked like I was going to have an opportunity to prosecute for either one of them. Uh, and all it was going to require, as I discovered in the middle of that process, was that I signed up to be a Democrat or a Republican, which I had never done to this day. Uh, and. Uh, I, I was still, uh, quite frankly, I was willing to do that. I mean, I didn't care. It sounded like it was going to be a $200 check. I said, Yeah, I'm to let you guys prosecute for a few years and then leave and not have to worry about it. Yeah. And I heard somebody from the Army talk about what it was like to come in the Army as a judge advocate and that there was the opportunity to try cases. And so I decided to pursue that once my wife's retreat, and buried me after I'd done my conscript uh, on, it, so to speak, in Vietnam. And the more I looked at it, the more I got into it and, and I finally was selected I just gave up everything and said, this is what I want to do. Because I can get three years of college experience and come back to Cincinnati in a lifetime. And I won't owe anybody anything. I've done this on my own. and I'll have the experience. Three years became 28 years. Uh, and I say that to law students who are thinking about how they want to chart out their entire course. And my, my advice, if you will, is don't. Just don't look too far down the road. It's all right to have some long-term goals, but keep looking. Keep, 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 keep them vague. Remain flexible. And what's important is to drill down on whatever you're doing. You don't know what you don't know. Lots of people have said that. It can't be more true than the beginning of the practice law. You really don't know what you don't know. And I recall after working at one post for several years and being in a position where I was asked, well, what do you want to do next? I said, Well, let me tell you what I don't want to do. I don't want to go to Europe right now, and I have all kinds of reasons why I do not want to be assigned to Europe as a good capital. Well, first of all, I don't want to do that, and here's the three things I would really like to do next. Needless to say, I'm going to be telling this story. I was assigned to Europe. <laughs> Everything that I had thought about that assignment was completely wrong. And it was a very enriching and rewarding and professionally developing assignment. And when they came over to Europe, the personnel guys three years later they said, now we'll need to do I said, no, no, no. I said, I knew that was a you. I said, what do you want me to do? I said, well, we were thinking we'd bring you back to work in criminal law policy And the office just just job. What do you think about that? And again, based on my voluminous knowledge, extraordinary experience, multiple contacts with all the people who knew what was what, I said, that sounds terrible to me. I would hate that job. And the colonel stood back shocked, because all young, I was a brand new major designer, want to go to OTJ to work where the the generals are, because that's how you meet people that are important that can affect your career, and get the challenging department of the army level assignments. And he was, he was stunned. He really thought that everybody that knew anything wanted to go to the Pentagon. And I, I will tell you, I was misinformed about what the nature of that job was. All that aside, and he said, well, where do you want to go? And I said, well, just go back and look at what, our, what, what I told you guys three years here to do. I'm sure you keep all kinds of stuff in our files. You know, I want to do the same three things. So I want to go to litigation division, or I want to go to contract people. If I've got to go to the states, I know so I can go to the he says, okay. You know, every one of you knows that I was assigned to kind of the Pentagon and a law. <laughs> yeah. And it ended up being a great assignment. It ended up being rewarded professionally, enriching in the way. It was completely different from what I thought it would be, just as the previous assignment was different from what I thought it would be, because I didn't know. You know? And, and you have all these advisors that'll tell you, and there's all these conventional wisdoms out there, and none of it amounts to a health being. And so there are there are people who are there philosophy who want to do a certain thing, and what I'm suggesting to you is that even if you don't get to do what you think you want to do, really apply yourself for whatever you land and drill down deeply and become an expert at something. Because I I used to tell young lawyers working for me that I was going to give them a certain assignment within, for example, the legal assistance officer. I wanted them to become the expert in that office in that organization on debtor-creditor relations, or I want another one to work hard on landlord-tenant, become the expert for the office. It not mean they see all the landlord-tenant clients, but they would become, like, the the person to go to for the other four or five attorneys in that organization. Because I think that, and I'm not not discuss it academically or scientifically, but I think that as you drill down and make yourself an expert in something, no matter how narrow that area is that the synapses in the brain somehow do the same types of things they do when you learn a foreign language. You know? and, and I'm told, as one that doesn't pick a foreign language, that once you learn a foreign language, subsequent foreign languages are easier to learn than the person that probably have to pick because of these, the, the synapses thing that I just described. But at any rate, what's important is to work hard, to apply yourself, and not be frustrated by not getting the dream job, or the job that you think is key, or the job that you think is the one that you need to have to get where you want to go. Because chances are, you'll change your mind for a that. time And what's remarkable is to look back, not five years later, but ten years later, and especially twenty years later, on what, on what very quickly goes by, and, and look at all the forks in If you didn't even recognize were forks didn't realize you were doing things, not making decisions necessarily, but just doing things that affected the course of your life, especially professional. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's difficult when you're 24, 25, and perhaps over to to, uh, to be patient and, and not to try to really nail everything down. and I just suggested you to go into the practice of law is a noble profession, with an open mind, and you, for example... You know, the, the, the private sector example is you go to a law firm and you want to do litigation and somebody says you're going to be doing, you know, bankruptcy work, you know. Become as expert as you can in bankruptcy. Show your legal skills. Show that you can research hard. Show that you can write, you know, and, and I'm convinced that hard work is its own reward and hard work also is noticed by others who will move you to the right place and you'll have more opportunity. Having said that, I spent uh, several years uh, early on uh, as a litigator for the Army, uh, almost eight years in the courtroom, and subsequently uh, six years uh, as a staff adjutant in the division and a staff adjutant in a court, what the board. I'm going to show you what those organizations are uh, because it's uniquely Army. But in one, I had about 30 attorneys that worked for me, and the other, I had uh, 45 attorneys that worked directly for me across six or seven functional areas international And, and uh, through all that time, uh, what I did, especially those first four years, was the most important. And I recall a like, young attorney uh, when we were in Germany, right out of law school, we'd been there about a year, he was prosecuting, we were both prosecuting cases. And his wife uh, called my wife one day and said, I'm going home with my mother. This is ridiculous. You work too many hours. I never see it. You don't.
0: all the time. And uh, the other bit of advice I have, by the way, is you know,
1: make sure you get a great spouse. <laughs> no one scored better than I did. I married her way up. My wife I said, well, let's go for a ride, Lori. And so she and Lori got in the car. And they got out on Autobahn 5, along with Frankfurt. And They drove down Autobahn 5 to Frankfurt and the past Frankfurt finally turned around somewhere south of Darmstadt and came back. And Diane told Laurie that, you know, now is when Chris has to work really hard. Now is when he's learning his craft. You know. John went through the same thing. And I know, you know, it may seem like John's hard on it, but you know, they've got to save for these trials and, and you know uh surprisingly go in at dinner time and take, a, take him a, a, a bad lunch, you know, and let him take a half hour break at the office and then we go back home and let him work on. You know and, Coached this gal through not leaving and flying back to Louisiana, but rather staying there and, and working with her husband. And it's not important what happened to them, although it's a happy ending as far as I'm concerned. They do have five children, he just retired to the full colonel. And remarkable Judge Advocate was the leader, was really the lead lawyer going in the Boston in 95, and of the leading was a remarkable attorney with a great career. But more importantly, the advice that Diane gave to that young spouse that now is going. Asked over. If he works twice as many hours now, he's going to be a better attorney that much quicker. Now's not the time to ask him to cut the day short every day because this is when you really learn your craft As early on, especially if you can't play any hours. Uh, later, uh, my responsibilities were more in, uh, in, in context of providing advice, supervising uh, 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 all those new and great attorneys, and, and figuring out how to. Package that and part of it and make sure that the executives that I work for got the right advice. In many ways, a senior judge advocate in that military is like a corporate counsel. It's not, it's not as much like a private sector as it is corporate counsel. And uh, uh, I, I will tell you that I found it much easier to give advice to the counsel and to advocate to senior military officers than I subsequently found it to provide right advice and counsel. Okay. Um, military officers are trained to just do the right thing. Uh, in our business, the General is fond of saying all you got to worry about is doing right. You don't have to worry about collecting. You don't have to worry about billable hours. You don't have to worry about working hard for a client, but maybe some of it's not billable. And, and most importantly, you don't have to worry about collecting. that a second time. All you have to do is get it that's a great. that's a great advantage of, of public service, is that that, that is your sole consideration. Not really, but that's not the discussion. But, but you don't have to worry about billable hours and Uh I, I will have to tell you, the private sector has its own reports, and they're so, considered. And I'm going to shrink away from the private sector, either I'm not here to, to advocate only for in the public sector. Uh, at any rate, uh, dealing with the political advisors, and when I kind of took that job in 2004, uh, was, uh, that's the most frustrating 32 months of my life, It was the time that I spent with commissions. Where, where am I on the clock? If I were already, you're fine. I'll just, I'm going to tell a story that I haven't told you uh, about commissions about and about what happened. Uh, some things, that, not that I've been afraid to talk about it, but it might be interesting for purposes of this discussion, and, and in terms of... Uh, beginning lost, things what you have to prepare for later. Uh, I was approached in November of 03 uh, by the General Counsel Department of Defense to if I'd be the appointing authority. Uh, nobody had talked to me at all before that And of course, the President had published a military order in November of 01, which I thought was ridiculous and absurd on its face. The Department of Defense implemented some. Or implemented that presidential order with some regulations in March of 02, which made it much better, but there were still some problems the presidential order, in my opinion. I was noticing already as a private citizen that there was a cowboy mentality in this administration. And that I personally still believe that the people that were making those decisions were thinking 50 years ago to what military justice was like in the 40s and the 50s, and that quite frankly in the 60s. System where people are kind of automatically guilty. We need a system where the defense lawyers just kind of roll over and pretend to be defending and advocating, but in fact, everybody's going to be found guilty. I think literally there are some people in administration that thought that. And as I talked to former colleagues who were working in the process, you know, I was just, can we really believe that? There was a point in time in late 03 when they finally had defense lawyers assigned to the six people who had been given a reason, the president the information reason to believe that they were committed a crime, and they're going to go to military commissions. The first six detainees
0: were in that situation. There was actually a matrix that was drawn up by somebody that showed
1: when they would be served with the charge, and assigned a defense lawyer, and then 45 days later the defense lawyer would come down with a pretrial, would offer to plead guilty. You uh, know, I remember saying that Larry Morris had a kidding. There's no way these defense lawyers are going to come in there and defeat these guys. <laughs> the first thing that military defense lawyers are going to do is they're going to say, the president doesn't have the constitutional authority to put these commissions on in the first place. That will be the first motion. And, and there will be at least 15 or 20 more, most of constitutional proportions. And as you know, that's exactly what happened. You know, I mean, it, it, but the point is, there would be an administration that didn't know any better. And they thought of military law as some inferior law. Which at one point in time it was, quite frankly. And and, and and not so much the UCMJ in nineteen fifty as the nineteen sixty eight amendments made dramatic changes. And the subsequent court developed law you know, that's not even in statute is what really turned the entire military law system around through the seventies and eighties especially to make it what it is today. And quite frankly, the only reason I agreed to consider the possibility of doing this job, you know, and I didn't tell Mr. Haynes that, but says somebody had And I just saw a lot of work by a lot of good lawyers and as important, a lot of good commanders, a lot of good commanding generals, colonels, commanding the going down the toilet. You know, as these guys corrupted military laws when they all had built it, and it's going to do it. so that's why I agreed to take the job, because he said he thought much about in fact we were in Harlem.
0: A close friend of mine, I served sort of with another tutorial, was shot down in 2003.
1: And he was a senior paralegal for the Army Jack. And, and that's why I was there, and that's why Haynes was there. And he said he had he canceled an early appointment, he was going to make these offer I said, Yeah, I thought about the appointment, or it ought to be a retired four star. And I said, You know, if you can't get a retired four star, you get an active three star, because that's, that's what you should have for a big appointment. star who's a combat veteran and also as a lawyer. Well, I don't know. there aren't a lot of people who have that exact description. You know, that's I knew where You going that. but that's when I, I agreed to consider it and ultimately came with that job and had just great difficulty trying to get political advisors to change the system. The political appointees to, to do anything. Times when uh, we were coming up to 2004 elections, we were doing hearings at Montana the time. That's when the Honda decision was made by the federal district judge to stay the rest I subsequently stayed the rest of the three cases on my own uh, and, and we went into this length litigation. But we had noticed already that there were some things that we thought we should change, and uh, John Evans and his vice presidential in his role of the vice presidential contender, had made the only comment that was made by either or any of the presidential vice presidential candidates in that election. He said something about commissions and changing. It was a very vague comment, but there will be and say we do away with it. And so about a week before the election, I got I put a team there and I said, let's start working on how we want to change. And I said, because if the Democrats win, first thing that happens with the transition teams is they come in and they're ready to do stuff, but if you already got a package ready to go, and you say, look, your vice presidential candidate said this two months ago, and here's the answer. This is what will help them keep that campaign promise. If you implement these changes, you will be being consistent with what Donald Trump said. So we started working on it. The Republicans won, and for a day, I was like, oh, man, here was this opportunity to get commissions right. We could have changed it. And then President Bush said something on Wednesday or Thursday after the election that seemed conciliable. And I came back in with a renewed sense of vigor. Let's push this forward through the administration. Now, this is kind of harmless stuff. It's not big. You know, commissions is, uh, is a pimple on somebody's rear in the great context of all the political issues the administration can deal with. Let's see if they want to do this. again. it's another big leap you know, to, the, to the Congress and the Senate and so forth. And so we started working on exchanges and push for the administration that involved meetings at the White House, Mr. Gonzalez at the time was the White House Council, Harriet Myers, uh, and the people from the vice president's office who were mostly, you know, were really sticking point and all that kind of stuff. But those types of, of negotiations, those types of attempted changes, uh, I couldn't have embarked on. I hadn't done the things that later really in my career learned I, I learned my case in the military. About uh, advocating uh, issues and advocating for clients as a right. And uh, so I had an unhappy because I feel miserable. I wasn't able to affect the change that so I wanted to, to affect. And uh, ultimately, I, I personally believe that had they done the things that our organization put together and sent forward, which included one modifying the presidential military order, I've got to talk in detail sometime about that number two, Literally drafted almost 200 pages of the manual for military Commissions, modeled on the manual for military course, Had they implemented that, I believe that the, the, the United States government would have one case on not, not uh, the decision of the rules by the Supreme Court. And we would probably try 15, 20 commissions right now. Uh, but it took that decision and the subsequent Military Commissions <coughs> Act by the Congress in the fall of the sixth to get us a performance still planned around. I'm going past what I said. So let's, let's talk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, a couple of things that just in terms of Possibilities for table discussion. Um, One, based upon what General Altberg just said in the last few moments of discussion. And that is the the responsibility of a lawyer in a variety of circumstances Um, when faced with political opposition in his role, her role, not necessarily as a a military lawyer, uh, but as a lawyer in any governmental position and what that person's uh, responsibilities are, who the client is, um, and, and the, the balancing that has to take place between the responsibility of the person to the institution, the responsibility of the person to their code of professional responsibility, and their own responsibility for their, their view of what the right thing to do uh, is in that particular context. Secondly, I think uh, one of the things that uh, we might want to discuss at the table is this idea that the uh, General Albert began the discussion with, this uh, idea of, of really being as a professional, being open to change, being open to uh, a variety of things in one's career, and sorts of uh, different kinds of challenges one can face as they progress through a legal career that almost never in today's world uh, is a straight-line progression. And it it simply doesn't happen in the way that it used to happen, where someone started with a firm out of law school and retired with that firm 35 years later. Um, That's simply not the way it goes. It's much more uh, a jagged, turning uh, uncertain career, and I think the discussion between, particularly the law students and the more senior lawyers sitting at the table, uh, uh, can be a, you know, a beneficial uh, discussion for both of them, particularly for the law students as to how the career path for lawyers has changed. So, thank you. We're going to have uh, a discussion, and then there'll be a uh, brief question uh, and answer. we'll finish Yeah,